welcome to the latest call we've had a dream podcast i'm here as ever with ruth good evening we have got some updated equipment for you this evening ladies and gentlemen so this is either going to sound like we are screaming at you or like no one can hear you <laughs> there's going to be all sorts of noises going on in the background so we apologize in advance for any uh, sound cock-ups but we're going to do our best for you um we wanted to do a quick little podcast about the draw for the euro 2020 qualifiers who Wales will be playing, our predictions, what we think is going to happen. We've done some interesting Twitter polling of people. We have um, done a solid amount of research ourselves as well, I think. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, I just copied and pasted shit <laughs> off the internet. Um, so anyway, we thought we'd kind of go through a few things, uh, have a bit of a, an argument as usual about what we think, um, and then hopefully you'll all listen. Anyway, enough rambling from me. To start off with, what was your first reaction when you heard the draw? Because Croatia, Hungary, Slovakia and Azerbaijan, at first reading, when I first heard the names, I was just like, it's all right, that. I'm not sure it is, actually. I think it's a a harder group than some of us might have been, uh, like you say, at first glance. uh, To end up with the the top of the pots three and top of pot four... uh, that's hard. Uh, I think I think we're going to have some tough games ahead. I totally agree with you. I, I think at first reading, like I say, I thought we're all right here. It's quite a decent looking group. But when you actually go and think about it, World Cup finalists, Hungary qualified for the Euros, Slovakia obviously qualified for the mm-hmm. Euros, and also were runners up in their group for the 2018 qualifiers. Um, and Azerbaijan have famously been tricky for us. I remember us playing them in one campaign, I want to say like 2008 or something like that, when Gary Speed scored a header, I think, for us to equalise, or certainly scored a goal for us to equalise uh, away in Azerbaijan, and we just can't afford to be doing that. We're off. We're, we're far down this road before <laughs> we've even asked you a question. Anyway, um, so... Just talking about the sorry. group the group in the general sense, and then perhaps we'll talk about some of the games and yeah. how we think the points might go. But I was doing some number crunching, which seems to be my contribution to the podcast. Um, And looking at the FIFA rankings and just trying to gauge how easy or difficult a group it was. Um, And if you you do that, it's a pretty tough group. If you just look at the rankings, Um, we're what we're I think we're the only group with um, three teams that are in the top 30 in the rankings, for example. Um, we've got um, it's difficult to make straight comparisons because some of the groups are obviously six and some of the groups are uh, five Um, but if you average out just the top five in each group and just look at their FIFA rankings the ones that were released about a week ago um, the Spanish group is ever so slightly harder than us but otherwise we're we're the second hardest if you take that average in across terms of rankings. In t- across the rankings now i think the rankings are a bit weird um it seems strange for example who's ended up in pot one based on the actual rankings yeah. you know technically we're ranked higher than poland so i'm not quite sure how are that we? all yeah how that all fell out uh, or at least we were as of the end of november oh, that's interesting. um so i'm not quite sure how that all fell out but i think that's a demonstration that it's it's another one of those groups perhaps a little bit like the last one for the world cup where we might all be a bit too even for our own good um i happen to agree with you there because it it might like i say at first reading i thought we'd be all right when you actually look at it in a bit more depth 
we've got the World Cup finalists. We've got the hardest team, again, in terms of rankings in pot three and pot four, like you said. It's not an easy an easy thing, especially when you look at a lot of some of the recent recent fixtures, sorry, and results that some of these teams have had. Some of them admittedly are kind of a mixed bag, but certainly no walkovers in there. So the more I've thought about it and the more this has gone on, the more I'm worried and, and again have a lot of questions really that I think gigs and and the players as much as anything else need to need to answer. Yeah, I think the and when we actually look at the or I think the order of the games is pretty tough. Um, those that double away head there's our sirens. There you go. I <laughs> um, hope that got picked up. <laughs> that um, double header in June where we're away for for both games. Yeah, I um, think Hungary away and Croatia away is a tough, tough double header. Um, just a quick thing I wanted to to ask you. I think we would have benefited from being in a six-team group purely because you don't have to come up with any friendlies, but also every game matters, and I and I feel like that suits us a little bit. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. Cause I, I mean, historically, we're not good at friendlies full stop. Yeah. We've demonstrated again this year that we're not terribly good at friendlies. Um, looking at uh, the patterns from the Nations League, it does seem to be a benefit to have two competitive games a wind- per window, uh, though not necessarily for us. Uh, and I think also there's a temptation when you've got friendlies to mess with the squad, to try something, to put out your B team. Whereas I, I like the momentum you get just from competitive game after competitive game. And in such a tight window that's only going from March to November, you've just got to be on it all the way through. And I actually think it might not, I, I agree with you, it might not benefit us being in a five. But equally, everyone else in our group is in a five. And you, you are, we only have to be second in our group. There's none of this. There's none of yeah. this kind of shilly shallying. Like, are are you the second best team relative to someone else? Are yeah. you the third best team? So we just we just have to be the second best team in True. that group. And so, on that basis, I think the advantages and disadvantages of the five versus six, in theory, they shouldn't. <coughs> excuse me. In theory, they shouldn't impact because everybody in our group is in the same position. No, I, I do know what you mean, I, I, and I totally agree with you about the friendlies. Although I did read somewhere that one of the likely friendlies, due to other teams that are being available at, the, at certain times, uh, is Germany. Yeah. And as much as anything else, <laughs> if I was going to do a Ger- an away day for Wales, Germany is top of my list. I absolutely love Germany for watching football. So um, whilst in theory I wish we were in a 16 group, I'm absolutely delighted at the opportunity that we might play the Germans, which is completely irrelevant to all of this because I just want to go there and get drunk. But uh, I, generally speaking, yeah, I, 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 th- agree I think you. there was, um, and I wish I could remember who was putting it out on, on Twitter, so apologies, but someone had looked at exactly that point and worked out that because of who's available and who's not, someone's going to have to have a, a, f- a friendly against a non European team. Because there just aren't enough European oh, teams. Right, okay, there aren't yeah. enough European teams yeah. available. It was an odd number, sorry, rather than available. Um, so obviously, what you want to do is you've got to draw someone to Europe for that. You, don't, you certainly don't want to be, you know, playing in Cardiff and then having an, a, yeah. an away fixture in in Toronto or something. Um, so although that would suit us, that would suit <laughs> us, yeah. yeah. Um, but the uh, 
so that would be interesting as well as to who who can who can be pulled across yeah, to no, fill that and that actually puts questions back to UEFA if they're making everybody have a friendly but they don't, there isn't actually the right number of teams, teams for everybody to have a friendly what what are they doing to enable a particular association whoever it might be address that because if the expectation is you're putting on the friendly they haven't they haven't actually got a remit beyond europe they can't force someone to come and play um to play a european they can't say force you know a south american team to come across and play for argument's sake uh so that actually throws up some interesting just organizational questions there it does make you think perhaps some of the south american teams might be an option for us though just because they tend to play a lot of uh, games in the UK uh, in neutral venues for example or around Europe so maybe that might be something I suppose that could benefit them as probably a money spinner for both teams. Yeah you can imagine Uruguay for example who've got a predominantly you know, you know perhaps European put, a, put a, a European squad out yeah, just, just so they can get a game and I don't know uh, but it was just an interesting problem that came out no, of I think the arrangements. Point. We are waffling already which is a <laughs> terrible start um, so to look at the teams in a bit more depth I've looked back at um, the time since Giggs has been in charge uh, for us, and I've looked at the fixtures for everyone uh, and their results over that time. Croatia have obviously played more games than anyone else on the basis of the fact they were in the World Cup mm. and had, a, had obviously had a great run. As, as, as you'd imagine then, their, their kind of wins, losses and draws record is pretty good. They've won eight, lost four, drawn four. Okay. Although I do think it's worth pointing out that one of those more recent losses uh, and draws was against England, mm-hmm. who I do, I did ask the question on Twitter, would we like to play them? And whilst it was a unanimous no, I do think they're a scene we could take points off. And the fact that they've taken points off Croatia does encourage me. I would also add, in my opinion, I think a lot of their key players, and I appreciate that Modric has just been... Uh, voted the Ballon d'Or winner but I do think they have a solid number of players who are coming to the tail end of their careers um, and I can I just hope that we can take advantage of that in you know that's the, the slight kind of chink in the armour if you like that I can see against Croatia yeah I mean they're, they're, they're aging definitely aren't they but you wonder whether there's one sort of last hurrah in some of those players and, and ironically it might push them on perhaps. yeah I mean I, I agree with you I think there's there's definitely that possibility there and if you look at some of their results um, they've beaten Mexico who obviously went on to have a great World Cup run um, then whilst they were at the World Cup beating a team like Argentina regardless of their problems mm-hmm. that they had at the tournament is still no mean feat um, since then, they've beaten Portugal 1-0, but equally they lost 6-0 to Spain um, before the, the results against England. Their most recent uh, win then was against Spain. They beat them 3-2. So can, when you consider that that was last month, just after Spain had put on a clinic mm-hmm. against us, um, it does kind of put the frighteners up your little bit. Yeah, they could run very hot and cold I think the Croatians I I think though if we I mean if you just look at them on paper they they should be the winners of this group so then it's primarily are we better it's a bun fight than what's, second place what's coming up what's coming up after them well yeah. to, to look at the other teams around us then I found it quite interesting because a lot of us have similar records but equally because of the UEFA Nations League we've been playing 
similar ranked teams. So it kind of puts a, a, an interesting kind of twist on things. To look at Slovakia, they've won four, lost four, drawn three. However, in that time, they played in the King's Cup uh, in Thailand. They beat the UAE 2-1 and Thailand 3-2. They also were the team who played the the Danish builders, plumbers and sparkies and beat them 3-0. I mean, I don't know what team they put out in the UAE and uh, and against Thailand either. But when you look at the fact that those three of those games, two of them were against fairly low-ranked opposition and one is against, you know, pub five-a-side players... <laughs> I mean, literally, futsal players. That means when you look at it, really, in terms of com- more competitive games, they've actually only won once in the whole of the time since Giggs has been in charge who, of us. Who did they beat in that game? They beat Slovakia. F- um, beat Slovakia. They beat Ukraine four-one. Right. Um, and then a kind of mixed bag of results after that. They've drawn against Sweden, which is quite a decent result, but they've lost home and away to the Czech Republic. Um, so. I, I, I do see them as a side who are maybe on the wane a little bit. I know Hamzik's their best player. He's certainly not having the greatest of seasons. Um, no goals, no assists apparently so far. So I do think they are not the, the same team that we played and, and battled against in the Euros. Yeah, I would. I mean, that I would agree with that. There's. I think the difficulty with the rest of the group is like us they're they're a bit up and down currently and it's do you hit them when they're on the up or do you hit them when they're on the down and and that applies to us too no i totally agree with you and so i think on that basis it makes it a very hard group to read because if if we actually play at our best we shouldn't have a problem in that group I mean, you'd but, like to think so, but, but we've been a, but here before. But there's an if there, isn't there? We have to play our best to not have a problem with that group. No, I, I totally agree. And if we don't, you can imagine a lot of 1-1 draws, um, that sort, those sorts of results. And actually, two draws is worse than a win and a loss, from obvious, rather obviously from yeah. a points point of view. And I think that killed us in the last yeah, campaign, exactly. didn't it? Exactly, and we, sh- we seem to have a propensity for drawing games recently and I think that's what we need to be careful of. No, I, I, I totally agree with you uh, and I think when you're looking around at a lot of these teams as well it's interesting to me, like I say, four draws for Slovakia, they certainly aren't a very offensive team and I, and I watched uh, one of their games against the Czech Republic on a, on a plane randomly when I was going somewhere and that was on, I saw that, I saw that game the 2-1 game um, and they really, really held the ball well in midfield, but panicked when the ball went forward and didn't really look a threat uh, in attack. So I'm not as worried about them as I as I first thought I would be, having gone through their record. Um, I mean, I'm saying that the, you know, sort of discounting those games against Thailand and the UAE. Equally, we've only won three games, and one of them came against China. Yeah. So. You know, I suppose there is a bit of give and take. And if you know, if there are any Slovakian people doing a podcast in Slovakian Costellos, <laughs> I'm sure they'll be saying a similar thing to us as well about us as well. Sorry, um, Hungary interested me. I feel like they're a team who are more intent on not conceding goals than scoring goals. Um, don't score a huge amount of goals. Five draws, 
and only two defeats uh, in their last portion of games. However, they have only won three times. And we, in looking through this, you know, the teams they've beaten, Finland, Estonia, but then they drew with Estonia. Um, they lost to Greece, um, but then beat Greece. They lost to Finland after having previously beat them. They lost to uh, uh, Australia. They've drawn with Belarus. They lost to Scotland. Now, you know, no disrespect to any Scottish listeners, but Scotland is sort of not exactly on fire at the minute, are they? So I think that is a decent barometer for us. Um, they also lost 3-2 to Kazakhstan. So whilst their ranking might you know, be the hardest team in pot four, when you look at the teams they've played recently and they're like a proper mixed bag of results, there is cause for optimism there. I know they are a capable enough side, um, but... Yeah, I think they could, they could be the spoilers in the group in that they might settle for grinding out some draws and not messing their ranking too much as yeah. opposed to really going for position one or two. I agree. I, I see them s- similar to the way that uh, I saw Georgia in the last group. And as you say, they'll kind of spoil a bit and they may nick a few points on people here and there. But unfortunately, it was also us they took the points off yeah. last time. So that those are big, big games, I think, the hung- Hungary games. I think because those are the sort of the games that we struggled with last time that we have to win and make the most of this time. Yeah, I think the, the problem with that tier of teams is that, for argument's sake, you can imagine Croatia or Slovakia ending up with two wins and somehow we end up with a win and a draw. Yeah. And suddenly we're on the back foot. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And then all of a sudden those games... I mean, a game against Slovakia will be massive come what may. But if we have ended up dropping points elsewhere, then it becomes... You know, a, a different kettle of fish, really. So it is—it's very difficult to call, I think. Um, to move to Azerbaijan because of the pot that they've been playing in in the Nations League, they've had four wins, three losses, four draws. But again, when you kind of glance at their results a little bit for a bit of clarity, um, they lost to Belarus, drew with Macedonia, uh, lost to Kazakhstan. Um, they beat Latvia and beat Kosovo, who had a decent run in the Nations League, to be fair. But a draw with Malta, um, home and away they drew with but them 1-1. But then they lost 4-0 to Kosovo in the last day of the Nations League. So, I mean, if we're not taking six points off them, we don't deserve to qualify. And I, and I have full faith that we will take six points off them. It's, it'll be a difficult two games, especially away from home. But I do think we'll get six points off them. Yeah, we should. My, my concern with that is more the timing of the games. Because if you, if you go from when the games start in March through to the autumn, after the September round of games, we've only actually played four games. We have a doubleheader in October and a doubleheader in November. Right. So we could get to that kind of tr- like halfway point. Um, and not have many points because we've not played many games. I see what you're yep. saying. So we're kind and of on the back foot. Yeah, on the back started. foot because we're, we're, we, you can see, for argument's sake, Croatia and Slovakia pulling away. Um, and, we're, and we're kind of chasing that. And I think that's something we have to be careful of. I think there's a kind of um, a mentality to that we just need to, need to be mindful of. 
I agree. I, it's difficult, you know, and it's so tough across a relatively small number of games. Well, not relatively. It is a small number of games over two years to kind of get the best out of everyone and everything, and 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 every became game. Sorry, becomes massive. Um, it's it's difficult. It's tough, and I just I like you say. I think if we fall behind and we we go into those sort of we have to win this. As you say, it's a, it's a tough mentality to deal with sometimes. So I hope that we don't fall too far behind. But I think the big thing is we've got to take points uh, where we can get them. The thing, you know, that they will be probably saying about us, is if you look at our record in the same time that we've been talking about, with three wins, five losses, one draw, I can't imagine that whilst, you know, we've been looking at which pot one team would you like and which would you like to avoid I reckon there's probably a solid number of teams who'd be looking at our recent performances and gone it's alright that I'll take that I, I can deal with that so I I do think that teams may not be as scared of us as they were after after the Euros I mean there's two sides to that part of me thinks that's good because it means they might come and attack us a bit and that might suit our counter-attacking style but we certainly aren't the the terrifying draw we might have been yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think ago. that's I think that's fair comment. Terrifying as we <laughs> um, No, I think that's fair comment. We can't um, we can't be naive about what's been happening over the last eighteen months or so. In fairness, in terms of what we've been able to produce, um, I've got two questions for you. Mm-hmm. One is, will we qualify? And the second is, should we qualify? Well, we should, but we should have qualified for the world cup so you know should doesn't doesn't mean anything no i agree you know um from will, a, from will, a will i think we've both done the same thing actually haven't we sat down and worked out trying to work out what points we might get yeah um and i had us finishing up with 15 points and i had a look at the euro qualifying which is a bit complicated because obviously there was a lot of most groups were six team groups and this sort of thing but if you discount the sixth team and look at who qualified take off six points basically for the sixth the sixth team um then then we qualified on 21 minus six we qualified on 15 points um and most teams qualified with 14, 15 or 16 points to the Euros and so on that basis you, you'd like to think 15 points would be enough but it goes back to what I was saying earlier, it doesn't actually matter what's happening in the other groups we just we just need more than whoever's in position 3 in our, t- in yeah. our group I, I, I do think we need to set ourselves a target though because I, I, I think we've got to know what we need and what we're going to take from certain games and how we're going to approach them and stuff like that but I agree with you, you know, we come what may we do just have to be second in the group um in the same way that you did that research genuinely coincidentally i did the research for the qualifiers for the world cup um 15 probably is enough of the using the same system where you discount the teams mm-hmm. uh, the points against the teams who were the sixth place team so most teams generally lost six points um we would have been the third best second placed team right if that makes sense um with the points uh we got if we'd have had 15 points obviously we didn't but had we had 15 points we would have um switzerland got 21 italy got 17 denmark 14 croatia 14 so 
I would say 15 there or thereabouts will probably get us. But again, it's all based on the individual group and, and everything else. So interesting, Slovakia were the team that missed out on the World Cup, despite the fact that they were second place. Right. They would have qualified in this format, if that makes sense. They got 12 points and were the only team to do that. So, um, Like I say, interestingly, we got what would have been 11 points. So come what may, there needs to be an improvement. Um, and well, otherwise, we're just not going to get there, pure and simple. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've looked at the response on our Twitter. Yes. You have. Oh, well, that's, right. that's ruined my next question. No, you can blind mm. me with science. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, what percentage of people do you think voted yes to the question, will we qualify? Not should we, but will we? Um, 406 people voted. So thank you very much to all 406 of you. Do you know what the outcome was? Last time I looked, it was about 70-30. 74% of people think we will qualify, and thus 26 people think we won't. What I found interesting was I got, I would say, all but two of the responses I got to the question in terms of like replies to the tweet were people who were the no's, and I got very, very few, like I say, two, I think, of the yeses uh, were people who kind of responded to the tweet, which I don't know why I found interesting, but I did. I guess people maybe wanted to, I don't know, explain themselves, makes it sound a little bit too much like we've just come from school, but I do think... I did find that interesting. I think a lot of people are blindly saying yes because they see it as an easy group rather than actually... Looking at the group. Uh, yeah, going into too much detail about it. I don't mean that in a patronising way. Um, I do find it interesting. I just wanted to read uh, a few of the responses to you. Mm-hmm. Um, this one from Forza Lantwit Cowbridge Murder. M-E-R-D-A Thanks for replying Great name Um, We've definitely got the second best squad But I don't believe Giggs knows his best formation And defensively we looked really bad By the time the games roll around I'm sure I'll be confident But right now I wouldn't bet a Fredo on us (laughs) Which I quite enjoyed Um, We should yes This is from Kyle uh, KM underscore CCFC we should yes but unless something clicks or something's changed I can't see us doing it I hope I'm completely wrong we ease through this group Gunter gets a goal in his 100th cap so I think we all agree with Kyle there <laughs> I think we'd love to see that um, I think looking at look at some of this stuff um, you know people talking about it's just a tough start to the campaign like you mentioned uh, and a few a, a lot of the tweets I got were as long as Giggs's learning curve and in inverted commas is over um, and, and a valid point, which I think is true, from Tyler75, which is a fully fit squad is capable of taking points off Croatia. And I agree with that. I'm not saying we will, but I think we're capable. I think the the problem is what we could do and what we should do versus what we will do. No, I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, we've both got us going for 15 points. And do you want to say how we got there? Well, if we go through the fixtures, I have us winning against Slovakia, losing against Croatia away, then a draw with Hungary, a win over Azerbaijan, a draw away with Slovakia, a draw at home with Croatia, which is where I hope we might actually have a bit of wiggle room, and then two wins at the end. Now, what concerns me about that is we're relying on those wins at the end, and it puts us back in the pressure situation that we had with the World Cup, where we were trying to win four out of four and we won three out yeah. of four um, so that that I think is my concern about how I get at the 15 points I agree my, my, my two things were 
the run at the end and the point off Croatia because I mean it's a big ask that they were the World Cup finalists finalists for, for God's sake so that is not going to be you know we just kind of sit in and I equally do worry about the, the the run of games at the end like that the double header in June scares me a little bit if I'm honest um, but do you know what I'm I'm determined to be positive about this if someone had said to me well first of all if someone had said to me eight ten years ago you'd be the second team you've got someone who's just you know been voted the 17th best player in the world <laughs> playing up front for you whatever you know you're the second best ranked team in that group we're expected to get through well Christ I'd snap your arm off so we have come a long way and I do think it's worth remembering that yeah. that we're talking about you know this you know Giggs's naivety this that and the other ten or so years ago we would have absolutely loved the idea of what we've got now so I, I do think we've got to be there and I also do think whilst it's not been the best few months we do have a very capable squad we have young players coming through by the time this campaign starts all those players have got another six months of regular professional football under their belts grown in experience I mean David Brooks is growing in stature every week every time I see him play so um, you know there's there's definitely a lot of positives here and I think equally let's discount Croatia I would have taken I would have taken I would have taken the group we've got Slovakia Hungary and Azerbaijan as the other teams that we've got to beat basically as you say it doesn't matter what Croatia do really so I'm I'm positive my natural cynicism after to say I'm going to be positive my natural cynicism is I and I'm sorry but I don't I don't see us getting there I think what do you think the fundamental issue is as someone just alluded to there, I, I don't think Giggs knows his best formation. I don't think he knows his plan A system. And I don't think he knows his best team. Um, and do you know what? I've got a few pelters off people on Twitter, but I, like, I want to be wrong. Like, I, I, I promise you, in two years from now, if we don't qualify, I promise I will not sit here and say, well, I told you so, because mm-hmm. I, I, I want us to qualify. It's not about that. Um, I just worry. and And I think... for every possibility we've got I think and again to give gigs a bit of credit I think we're in this weird transition phase where people are getting a bit older and running out of a bit of form and the younger players aren't quite experienced enough yet I don't know maybe it's just too too many years of misery and heartbreak have gotten me to this point I don't know I don't disagree um, I, th- I think I'm taking solace in the fact that we've got six months Ironically, for those players to develop away from gigs, I know that sounds a bit strange, but they're going to develop more day-to-day through what's happening at club level, and that's going to continue. And hopefully, come March, he's actually picking up a group that are not so inexperienced. And maybe that's that's who he'll be be better working with, uh, that he's not worrying about their actual kind of capabilities because they've demonstrated that week in week out at at club level and he can concentrate a little bit more on what formation he wants what he wants them to deliver 
Uh, so that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, I agree. I hope for that too. And I hope that he has learned enough from this to kind of make progress. And I think, I think there's a strong chance he has because this hasn't been positive and he, and he hasn't come out of it particularly well. And I'm, and I'm sure he knows that. Um, but do you know what? If he's the manager we want him to be, we will qualify. It's as black and white as that. And I would love to be, you know, packing our bags and going here, there and everywhere in a couple of years' time. I would absolutely love it. Uh, and, I, and I hope we are. And I, think, I hope he proves me wrong and I, hope, and I hope we get there and I hope he is the manager we, we kind of think he, he can be and we should be. And he should be, sorry. And I don't know. What I will say is I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And I've gone through, as we all have, years of absolute fucking misery. <laughs> sSorry, Sarah, if you're <laughs> listening. Um, where we've gone into campaigns thinking, oh, Christ, we've got no chance. And now we've got every chance. Mm-hmm. And come what may, went down to the last game, we didn't qualify last time. I wasn't annoyed because I would have loved, I would have killed for the opportunity for it to go to the last game of the group to get to a World Cup in years gone by. So I'm, 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 I'm trying to maintain my yeah I think I think the difference is the ball's actually in our court now we're we're a strong enough squad a deep enough squad we're ranked such that actually if we deliver what we should and could deliver we'll be through no I, and, so, I, I, and so on that basis the the kind of um infrastructure stuff the the sort of scaffolding stuff is on our side right now. We've just got to, we've got to deliver on the on the pitch. No, I one hundred percent agree, and I and I hope, and like I say, I, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope it happens. Um, and it's it's a great position to be in, where we're excited about what's going to come, and not you know going to games through duty rather than uh, desire. So I'm excited, and I and I think I think it'll be close. Like I say, I'm not I'm not entirely sure we'll get there, but my God, I hope we do. And and I think it'll be a fabulous tournament to be involved in because of the places people get to go and a variety of Wales away days in such a short space of time. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm getting ahead of myself now. <laughs> I've gone misty-eyed over here. Um, I, I'm not sure that there's uh, anything else that I want to mention. I'm just going through my... Uh, no, I think we're ready to move on. We're, we're starting to move on. In that case, yeah. we're going to have a quick pause so I can buy us another round of beers. And <laughs> uh, we'll be back in a minute, listeners. So now we have uh, gone through the, the Welsh qualifiers and got ourselves another beer. We're ready to talk about our next hot topic, which is obviously Sam Ricketts leaving the Wrexham post. R- Ruth has just rolled her eyes, um, which should tell me what I think. Um, my first question I've got on my little list is, is he a traitor? I've intentionally used a harsh word. I actually think that's too strong a word. Oh, come on, Ruth. I want you to just slag him off here. Yeah? Go a bit mental. Have another beer. <laughs> then, then you'll call him a traitor. Um, I think he has gone in with false pretenses and utilised a, a situation to his own ends, which I don't 
begrudge him that. I just actually, I think, ironically, there's a, a sort of naivety to what he's done. Getting your first job in football is difficult. Getting your second is usually, usually even more difficult. And I think he's now kind of stamped himself as someone who would jump ship and leave a situation for what is inverted commas a better situation and I don't think that necessarily going forward professionally is actually a good move for him you know to to leave a club that is actually doing very well at the minute three four months into his his responsibilities I can understand the temptation of jumping up two leagues but in the long term, I'm not sure it's actually going to serve him well. He's he's done this for selfish reasons. And in the end, I'm not sure this is actually going to pay off for him. Because if it doesn't go really well at Shrewsbury, and they're in, a, they're in a tough situation. That's why they're looking for a new manager, after all. If it doesn't go well for him at Shrewsbury, he is then going to struggle to get the next post because he hasn't demonstrated any stickability. He's he, he's shown he will jump ship at the next best offer. I, I'm i going to be devil's advocate a little bit here, mainly because I like winding you up, <laughs> uh, especially when it comes to Wrexham. Thank um, you. <laughs> I, I, I just have a... For what it's worth, I think what he's done is fundamentally the right thing for him but the wrong thing for the football club and thus makes him a a selfish individual I do however think that you've got to be realistic and and I know it's easy for us to say here miles away not involved I'm you know I want Wrexham to do well I'm not a Wrexham fan by any stretch I would find it difficult as a teacher if someone came to me and said look we're going to take you to the best school in you know the the, re- the local area we're going to pay you more money we're going to give you more benefits do you know what? things are struggling at the minute but you know we can t- we can turn stuff around for FYI I'm not implying Shrewsbury are the best team in the area but we you know w- w- with a bit of your help we can turn things around you know and then you could be working at this you know this 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 school which is you know, you're going to get more money and it's in a better area and blah, blah, blah. I think if someone sought me out as much as anything else, for my ego, I think I would go, for my ego and my bank balance. Um, like, the one thing I struggle most with in this circumstance is, you're right, things aren't going well for Shrewsbury. And in four months, he could find himself up shit street and he may not get another job after this. Equally, there's two sides. One... He could turn them around. They could get up the league. And whatever you or I or anyone else thinks about him, he's made that a good decision for himself and his family. Second of all, whilst things are going well for Wrexham at the minute, we've talked a lot about the fact they've got a bit of a thin squad and we never know, you know, legs might get light up a little bit and you end up getting a few injuries and all of a sudden things get a bit slippy. Yeah, and what if he loses his out. job? It's hard to get out that league. So how, you yeah. know, when the money that people around him are throwing into it, like Salford and whatever... What if he then, four months down the line, stayed at Wrexham and everyone he turned this down and everyone says, good old Sam. And then four months, everyone's calling him a dickhead because the club isn't doing well anymore and he's out on his ass. I, 
and I know it's easier said than done because I'm not emotionally involved in this. But I do think there has to be a sense of realism. Come what may, he is jumping up two leagues. He's undoubtedly getting paid more money. I'm not standing up for him because I do think he's let a lot of people down. Mm-hmm. I also think if everyone took the blinkers off for a second, I think a lot of people in their chosen line of work, whatever that may be, would they, if they'd have got a similar opportunity to go somewhere else that's better, in inverted commas, better money, I think there's a lot of people would do exactly the same as he's done. I can't disagree with that. What I, what I find interesting about that scenario for football managers as opposed to, you know, Joe Bloggs is I don't think it follows the standard trajectory of most jobs. You know, if you are headhunted and you move to a company that's paying you more, is more successful, you're, more, you, you're joining a more... inverted commas, established organization, you can see that in most scenarios as a step up professionally. I think what's interesting about football managers is that you can have your legs chopped out from under you so easily. And what I find interesting in this particular scenario is for someone who seems to be quite astute... I think he might have put himself in quite a vulnerable position. And that's the bit I don't understand. I, I, I agree with you there. If, if we start talking about how he's treated Wrexham, how Wrexham invested in him as, a, as, a, as an unknown commodity, how he has drawn the best out of that squad, how well it's going, then there's a whole kind of like, the psychology of it I actually have really I have fundamental difficulties with it because you just shouldn't treat people like this From the but what sorry. surprised me is the decision he's made professionally I mean I, I in terms of how you treat people uh, I totally agree and to counteract my own argument I do think that people do have to act and behave differently when it comes to football clubs because he knows as much as anyone else. You're not just dealing with a job. It is emotional and you, and you are affecting people's lives. You know, it's a community club and there's, there's so many different things. And I, and I, that's what I don't like about it. And I, as I say, to, to reiterate the point, I do think he's done the wrong thing. I can see why he's done what he's done. I do think he's done the wrong thing as much as anything else because Wrexham gave him a chance. And whilst he's rewarded Wrexham for that decision it doesn't mean he also needs to chuck him under the bus as well so I do think he's done the, he's, he's done the wrong thing I, I personally think it's something he won't regret and you've got to have you've got to be fairly selfish to, to make this decision and then care about the fallout afterwards so I also don't think that's going to be an issue to him Yeah, and I think being hard skinned as a manager is actually a, a plus point Ironically, and he's yeah, demonstrated he can be very hard-skinned, and so going forward, that might, like you say, it might well be a benefit for him. Um, we asked this question off air, but then didn't answer off air. Look at us, <laughs> Billy, big time. Got a new set of microphones, and I think I'm it. Anyway, <laughs> um, we did mention then that we didn't talk about it because we wanted to do it here. 
about Owen Tudor Jones, who tweeted uh, a selection of tweets, and I'm not going to read the whole thing out, um, but just to go through the kind of crux of what he said. Um, he feels sorry for Wrexham fans. Um, it's a shame for for a great club, but he does feel he's been thrown under a little, uh, thrown under the bus a little bit. Um, it's interesting that a manager's been asked to not turn up for a match whilst conversations are ongoing. If a manager's not asked to leave, but a legal approach has been made through official channels and clubs have agreed compensation, it's only then the manager begins to open negotiations. The fact um, the build-up to the FA Cup match was growing uh, created the perfect storm of people pushing the panic button too soon and making decisions based on emotion. How can you agree compensation, allow a manager to speak to a club, but then give an ultimatum before those discussions have even taken place? I, I, I don't know about you. I actually see a lot of truth in what he said. Oh, I, I and I wouldn't be surprised if 90% of those tweets came from <laughs> Sam Ricketts. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I don't... I can't disagree with that. There's no, there's nothing to suggest that Shrewsbury have behaved in a way they shouldn't have done. And actually, the Wrexham board obviously must have enabled those discussions. They've got a manager under contract, after all. They, have, they had to have okayed the process. And so I think, I think what Owen Jones is saying in terms of it's odd, therefore, to have come out with that statement on Saturday morning and, and prevented him from being part of the, the game on Saturday. I can't argue against that. There, there's a protocol and there's a procedure and it, there's nothing to indicate that that hasn't followed the path that it should have followed. Um, and so on that basis, I don't think the Wrexham board necessarily behaved the way they should have done. But equally, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw mud at them for doing what they did because you look at what happened with Dean Keats. They were li- they were living this what six seven months ago. Yeah, they've just had enough of this, Dave. They shouldn't. You shouldn't give a young manager this sort of chance and have to put up with this. And that might be naive. It might be unrealistic in this day and age. But I can understand them saying. We're just not having him. We're not just not having him represent us at this game on this day, on this environment. And it might not have been the right decision in terms of the protocol, but equally, I can understand why they went down that route. I know what you're saying, uh, and I, uh, to an extent, I agree with you. And the way it's all transpired, it probably was the correct decision. They did things the right way in the end. I do agree, I think he's been thrown under the bus a little bit. But, come what may, only one person gets to make the decision if they're going to leave. And that's Sam Ricketts in this case. And he has made that decision. And I think he's done the right thing for himself, but the wrong thing for the for the club, for the community, for everyone who's taken a chance on him and supported him. Um, and I think it's a big shame. I really do. And, you know, we talk about people who could be an upcomer for, for Wales jobs and everything. He was someone who was, you know, on my radar in the future because of the great job he'd done there, the great start he'd made. And, you know, he did represent Wales with distinction for a lot of the time he played for us. But I think this would have soured a lot of people's opinions. And I think it's, and I think it's a big shame. I think he's let a lot of people down. Um, 
and I hope I hope I do hope it goes well for him at Shrewsbury to be honest which I'm, will, will not be a popular opinion because I think he's a, I think he's a good manager and I think fundamentally if someone told me that he was going to take us to the 2026 World Cup or Euros or whatever it is at that point I'd, you know I'd snap your arm off so from that perspective I do hope he does well but I think he has made a bad decision I hope it doesn't come back to haunt him I really don't um, looking looking forward to the people who've been kind of mooted if you like to, to replace him there's only two real names uh, uh, not real names all of them are real names none of them are fake um, to replace to replace him the two that I've come across more than once are Cam Toshak who's the Swans manager uh, Swans reserves manager sorry and uh, Darren Ferguson I mean Ferguson's obviously got a lot of history with Wrexham there's I mean, over the years, he's almost got that job, what, two, three times? Um, so there's a, there's a, and I mean, he's captained the club. There's a very real connection there. Uh, I, I suspect they might go down that route just because they're at a point where they're looking for some loyalty. But Dean Keats would, you'd have felt that Dean Keats would have ticked that box as well. As a, as a you know, my continu- continuing my role of devil's advocate, <laughs> whilst he's a club legend and a lot of those things are, are, are true, he played more than three hundred times for Wrexham. Would he want that job? Because he yo-yoed a bit between League One and League Two with Doncaster, who, to be fair, are a relatively big club. They were playing the Championship not too long ago. Um, would he want to step down? Do you think? I appreciate he's probably not. Inundated with with offers. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's the key at the minute. The ti- the timing might work for everybody right now, given given his you know when he left Doncaster and were, and the situation, uh, and I think the the welcome he would get would be. I can see that being tempting for him as well. Uh, going back to. To Toshak, I think that's an interesting one because I think he um, he's obviously what's happening with the under twenty threes at Swansea in particular. They've they've got such a strong uh, they're making such a strong presence at under twenty threes, and I th- and I think that they're obviously doing something right. But um, but equally, why isn't Gary Richards on the on the table for exactly the same reason? If if Cam Toshak is, why no, isn't Gary I Richards? Mean. I think there's a lot of people who uh, I'm surprised haven't been mentioned. Craig Bellamy is someone I'm surprised that hasn't been mentioned because I know he is doing a great job, and for him to be have been considered for the Wales job, I would have thought this is a great opportunity for him. Um, and you never know, you know, maybe that's this is going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. and. You know, no one's told us, which is very rude. <laughs> um, but um, I, uh, I, I, I think personally, this is a, a, a job for someone like Bellamy. I do think, however, the Wrexham will go down the more experienced route because they don't want this to happen for a third time where they pick a, uh, an inexperienced manager that does well. Someone else sees a lot of potential with them, dazzles them with money and whatever else, and then they bugger off. 
so I see them going down the the more experienced mm-hmm. route. But it, to me, Cam Toshak is a is a bit more of an interesting balance between mm-hmm. the two because he is obviously older than than Bellamy. Um, and by between the two, I mean him and, uh, and and Darren Ferguson. For what it's worth, I wouldn't want Ferguson to get the job. I think anyone who uh, gets found guilty of assaulting their wife, uh, I don't care how many times you play for my football club, mate, you could do one. That's my personal opinion. But um, Cam Toshak has done a great job mm-hmm. uh, last season, especially with the, with the 23s. Um, he got them to the Premier League 2 final or whatever it's called. Um and they lost on penalties, I believe it was, to Aston Villa. So he's, you know, he has done very well there with with a good squad. This season, however, when I was looking at this, I was surprised at the kind of mixed bag of results they've had. Uh, did you look at it? Did you see? No, but when you consider who they've stepped up to the first team, it kind of, it, it, to my mind, it makes sense that they've taken a step backwards. Well, um. I, I, th- I would have thought the same. They've only won twice this season so Ooh. far, uh, with seven losses and six draws, which is not a great set of results. And I thought they must have lost loads of players. But they've lost Ben Cabango to TNS mm-hmm. and Dan James, who are the two regulars who have stepped up and gone elsewhere, which is fair enough. George Byers has played for the senior team this year, but only four times. Um, Baker Richardson has played four times for the seniors this year and has still been involved with the 23s. And Kenji Gore, I don't know if I've said that right, he was the starting centre forward. He's been sold to Nacional in Portugal. So, yes, they have lost one, two, three, four of those players. But only Dan James and Ben Cabango are actually regularly playing elsewhere. Well, sorry, and the lad who's gone to Nacional. They've still got George Byers and Baker Richardson still knocking around. Right. The majority of the team is still the same. So I appreciate you taking away a few kind of key members of that of that team that played in that final, but I don't know. It just I was expecting mm-hmm. to recognise, you know, seventy five percent of the names on that team sheet. And I really didn't. Um, and I've looked; most of them are still playing in 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 the twenty threes. So I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. the The other name that seems to have percolated up over the last maybe forty eight hours or so well, it's only been forty eight hours is Andy Morrell, who obviously was a player manager previously with them. Yeah, and he might fall into that category of someone who's a little more steady and predictable. So I think it might be interesting if they look at that. Um, Graham Barrow, who's the the coach who did a really genuine um, press conference on yeah, Saturday. Good for him. Um, I think, obviously, he doesn't particularly want the job, um, but it might make sense to see if he's willing to do it for a, just a, a few weeks and just not do a knee-jerk reaction to this. And, I happen to disagree with you there. You, you know? do? I, I, I feel like they need... I feel like the longer this lingers, the more it becomes a problem. For me, I think they need to maintain the great start they've had to the season, uh, strike while they're on top, get someone in, make a good decision and do it quickly because what you don't want is someone who ends up being there for six or eight games. They don't do a particularly great job either 
um, and then that kind of bumbles on a little bit and then well, it's another two weeks then before we appoint someone else next thing you know you've kind of lost 10 games of the season and all of the momentum and everything else has dissipated so personally I think they need to be decisive and make a decision soon I don't disagree but I don't want them equally I don't want them to rush a decision either you know I think they've as you say they've gone down the route of two relatively young managers who've then been poached for want of a better expression so I would rather they take a breath a little bit and don't jump in but as you say everything is so particularly this time of the season is just so busy you you two weeks can be six games well that's so, the thing you look now yeah. at the Christmas period they've got the FA Cup replay coming up mm. um, a selection of important results uh, games sorry on Christmas like I know they play Salford mm-hmm. uh, over the Christmas period yeah, as well yeah home and away mm. over the so the break. you know yeah. that's a big big time of the time of the season for them so I, I do hope they kind of don't waste the, the timing if that's the right word uh, and, and kind of fritter fritter away important games mm. whilst they're making a decision and it's, it's a very difficult one and, I, and my heart goes out to wreck some fans and, and to the club as well really because it's it's an awful time of year for it to happen in terms of the number of games you've got coming up and the importance of games I mean Christ they've drawn Leicester you know we'll come <laughs> on to that what well, I say they have should they beat Newport um it's a very, very uh, messy situation, and I, I don't. Know, I, I, I hope they strike quickly, and I hope they get the right person in. But as you say, I wouldn't want them to to just jump at someone and end up them being the wrong person. The only person who's a no for me is Darren Ferguson because I don't think he's a nice human being. But <laughs> that's a story for yeah, another no, day. No, I can't. I can't disagree. But I think there's a connection there that might be tempting. Can we move on? Because this is getting me. Even more depressed. Sorry, as, as as tears from heaven or whatever it's called. That Eric Clapton, he's, he's playing in the background. Um, to move on uh, to that cup draw, what a cup draw that is! I know, but I I kind of feel for either or both of them. I know you've got to take your Wrexham hat off for a second. No, yeah. no, no. I I have the horrible feeling that Wrexham's opportunity was Saturday. They played so well. They sh- they should have won that game. Uh, I agree. Uh, I think wasn't the modern classic blood and thunder game I was hoping for but it was uh, it was a good game I don't, I don't know I don't think it was oh, was it no it was a good game the, the of football sec- entertaining the, the second half an, the second half an hour the last half an hour sorry I thought was entertaining in that there were at least some goal mouth action uh, and very little happened before that um, Wrexham were, were the better team by the end of the match no question um, and they had countless good opportunities and one or two great saves by I think it was Day the uh, the Newport keeper, um, I disagree with you. I, th- I think they're more than capable of going there. And Newport's home form has been patchy of, of late, so I can see, I can see them getting there, and I can see them going there with a bit of a an fu attitude. Mm-hmm. Kind of, we don't need you. We can do, you know, we can do well without you, sort of thing. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I personally, my my bet is if you looked at those looked at that game objectively and you had to bet on someone for the second leg that uh, second game sorry I'd bet on Wrexham which means they've just lost yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean I think I think Newport can run so hot and cold I've just got the feeling they're going to run hot 
than that game, unfortunately, for, for the North Whalian in me. Uh, the cynic in you, you mean. <laughs> That's what you really mean. Um, yeah, do you know what? Come what may, and I know you obviously would prefer Wrexham to go through, uh, so would I, given the circumstances at the moment, to be perfectly honest, but um, what a brilliant opportunity and what a carrot to dangle in front of those two teams that you get to go, uh, you get to host, sorry, yeah. you know, the recent Premier League champions. Um, it's a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, I think in, in isolation of the fact that Wrexham are playing Newport, regardless of which team goes through, the fact that there's a Welsh team playing a, a Premiership team Guaranteed. in the third round, we've, we've got to think that's a positive. No, I agree. And I'm excited for, for whichever one of them ends up uh, playing Leicester. Uh, I'm with you. I, I, I hope it's Wrexham. Uh, sorry, Newport fans. When is the replay? Do you know? And I'm not sure. Do you know when the replay is? I'm assuming it's midweek next week, but I haven't actually looked. Well, some top quality content as always, <laughs> yeah, listeners, <laughs> <laughs> on the Golden Hour Dream podcast. This will be that 30 seconds I'm <laughs> telling you to edit out. To move on to two other things very quickly. We said we're going to keep this brief when we are now at an hour. Um, the two things we wanted to talk about briefly were Rambo uh, and Hergerberg, the... Uh, the first ever female Ballon d'Or winner uh, and the whole kind of shitstorm that, that followed that yesterday. Um, the big things that surrounded Ramsey seem to be Madrid, Munich and Juventus. Um, and the big thing to me was I saw uh, Ian Robin said he's leaving Munich at the end of the year. And I have no idea why, but that said to me, Rambo's going there. Do you think he'd, he'd go in January or the summer? I think he'll go in the summer myself. Mm-hmm. What's I, think, I, I think he's got a point to prove to Arsenal of, you, know, you don't think I'm good enough? Fine, whatever. You're not bothered about this. You're not bothered about my contract. You're not bothered about my money. Good for you. I'll do one. And good for him. I, I think, you know, we see so many Arsenal fans saying how, you know, they think he's this, that and the other. I think he's a brilliant footballer. And anyone would be lucky to have him. And and I and I do think uh, maybe not your Barca's and your Real Madrids. I think he could play for pretty much most other teams. I think he's a, I think he's a world class player, uh, and his passing and his runs and his creativity and he's got a genuine grit to him. Um, I think he's a great little number eight or number ten player. Um, I think he could bring a lot if he was kind of given the opportunity to play in the right position. And I just think he's a brilliant player, and I and I think. Whatever happens, he deserves to be able to say "fuck you" to Arsenal. Um, I mean, I hope he leaves Arsenal for that very reason. Even if they have a have second thoughts over the next couple of weeks and, and dangle a contract in front of him, I hope he just says no, thank you. Yeah, I mean, the 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 risk, of course, is you you know you're out of contract, and that's clearly a, a risk as a player. Um, but it's not like if I was out of contract no. at the end of the year. Do you know what I mean, no, he's, someone's he's he's going to be he's all right, made, the lad. He's all right. Yeah, he's all right. I've heard he's good. And, and, presu- and presumably he, you know, he should have some insurance as well if he's if he's sensible. I've always at a at a pod we did. I don't know, maybe six eight weeks ago. I raised Bayern as I was sort of unexpected. It was unexpected that they weren't on the table in terms of where he might go and of course that's become um, 
much higher up the list uh, now. Nostradamus over here is predicting um, everything. But there's an interesting dynamic there with Kovac and what's going on. He's, he seems to be sort of in an almost Mourinho-esque kind of situation in that what's happening on the field is completely separate from him currently. And I just wonder whether you're, you're getting into a troubled situation. It's funny you should say that. I was speaking to... Uh, I've done my research by speaking to a child at school uh, <laughs> who's a Bayern Munich fan um, who's got, you know, German family and everything. Um, Kovac is seen to be more a consequence of the problem rather than the problem itself. The The problem seems to be the fact that the the higher-ups, if you like, uh, are not making kind of correct decisions and not moving with the times. And he's kind of hamstrung a little bit in, in what he's doing. And he's not seeming, whilst his kind of head is on the block a little bit, he's not seeming to kind of get the the, the pressure that the other managers might be getting at the moment. Um, and, and I think as a consequence, it still would be a good position for him uh, a good place sorry, for him to go to and a good opportunity for him to have I think he's a very very good player and I think he is someone who can improve that team I don't disagree my concern is just what is that team you know by by September of next year you could have a very different 11 on the field you could have a different manager would you sign on the dotted line without knowing exactly what you were getting into. I mean, I know what you're saying, but he's going to go to one of the biggest clubs in the world. He's going to earn a shit ton of money. He's, you know, if he had signed for Newcastle United with all the problems at the minute, then yes, I'd say I'm grateful, but, you know, where's your head at? He's signing for Bayern Munich. He's not signing for Newcastle United. And I think... Whatever their problems are, whether they get solved this year, next year, they will get solved because they're Bayern Munich. And Where do you think he'll actually end up? I think he'll end up at Bayern Munich. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Not Juve? I, for, for me, I think I think Italian football wouldn't suit him so much. Mm-hmm. And I also think... I, I don't know where he plays so much at Juve. I don't think the, the Ronaldo influence would kind of suit him that much. There's a first-team guarantee at Bayern that he might not get elsewhere, isn't there? I think so, and it's still one of the biggest clubs in the world. It's still glamorous. He's still going to get paid the money he wants. I think, uh, for me, that's where he'll go. To finish, as Alan has turned up, and we (laughs) we don't want to keep him for too long. (laughs) In that case, we'll take our time. Um, (laughs) That's true. We said we weren't going to do long. We're an hour and ten minutes in. Um, The uh, first-ever... Female Ballon d'Or winner was uh, was announced yesterday, um, and I wrote on our Twitter yesterday. I wonder what goes through someone's head where this person has won an award, has spoken in two languages, neither of which are her own, and then someone has just thought it's a good idea to show if she can twerk. Now, I understand that there was dancing before it, which is why they led to it. But I feel like saying to the person, if you think that's a good enough excuse, like, you're an idiot, like a, like a genuine real-life moron. And I want to know what goes through. After all the positive, like, it was a brilliant acceptance speech. All the things she said, 
for someone to follow up with that question, like all I could think of was, what a dickhead. Like how, how have you got to a point where you think this is the best question I can ask this person? You're a moron. And his apology, I don't know if you saw his apology on Twitter. It was this sniveling, like fake apology if I've offended anyone. Well, is there, there's no if, mate. You just have. You're just a moron. And I hate that. Just come out with it. If you, if you think you need to say you're sorry, just say you're sorry, not if I've offended anyone. It was intended as a joke. Come on. What a moron. I mean, for, for that occasion, it was completely inappropriate. For a woman who's wor- winning the first Ballon d'Or, can, can you just imagine what that means in women's football? To finally get a Ballon d'Or. And here's this amazing footballer. I mean, her statistics are stunning. Absolutely stunning. Absolutely stunning. It's something like knocking almost 200 goals in 150 games you know it's just amazing what she's doing on the pitch and for that to be the outcome of that evening what should be the, such a pinnacle for women's football it will always be remembered for that and it, and, which is ridiculous and that's the ludicrousness of it it's so frustrating Dave it's like one step forward and two back it's so wrong um, two things that uh that I did kind of garner from the circumstance which was a positive was I don't know if you saw Kylian Mbappe's reaction to it afterwards but he kind of turned around to the people next to him and the look on his face was like you're having a laugh mate are you taking a piss what have you just said Uh, and the general reaction to things on Twitter in this sort of circumstance on social media you always get the odd person who just says oh he's only messing about or whatever it was absolute widespread what on earth has just happened here? So that did make me kind of feel better that it yeah. is just one idiot. It's just happened to be, unfortunately, the idiot who was up on stage in front of millions of people with a microphone. I think it was interesting what you say about Mbappe as a as a as an example, but it's interesting to me that the audience were there as footballers. They weren't there as male footballers or female footballers. They were there as footballers. And if we can get to that point then that's genuine progress. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, the final thing I wanted to uh, add to this circumstance is it is no surprise to me that Jess Fishlock has gone to Leon, and the next thing you know, her teammate has won the Ballon d'Or. So basically, Jess Fishlock's on the Ballon d'Or. That's what I took. <laughs> that's what I took from uh, from last night. I did want, actually want to touch on this. It's somewhat negative because I think it was a wonderful evening, but... And it goes back to what Jess was saying in the summer in terms of the relationship between international women's football and, and club win, women's football in that Hegerberg, she's not playing for Norway. She's, she's said very pointedly that she's not going to um, compete in the championships next summer because she doesn't feel that what's happening in her, her association is appropriate. It's not valuing. Now, obviously, that's a particular discrepancy between her and the Norwegian FA. But I do think it's a a kind of... I think if someone who is the recipient of the Ballon d'Or is saying what's happening at international level versus what's happening at club level um, is out of step, I think that's a really important statement. A a woman who's, what, 23... To feel that she can't commit to her country and represent her country and 
I've no doubt she's a, a passionate Norwegian. There's, you know, she wouldn't not be. Um, but enough for her to make a statement that there isn't, there isn't the support from her FA. I think that's really important, and I wouldn't want that to get lost in what she's producing at club level. Because it goes back to what Jess was saying about the difficulties she has here as a, a European player in the US and, the, and the, the dichotomy of the support that's given to the US players and the fact that there's not the, um, a similar reciprocity to the, to the European players. And it's one of the things that men's football has gained from recently is a calendar that makes sense across all of the competing countries. And you can see that's been well put together as well. It's well put together, well structured. And I think the the women need something similar in terms of the calendar that's supportive of people playing both at club and international level. But also the FAs need to acknowledge that, you know, if if you were a Norwegian football fan, your best chance of international success right now is through your women's team. Not through your me- to your men's team. No, that's a very good point. And to have your best player, the best player in the world, feeling she can't run out for your country, then that has to be addressed. You have to do something about that. And I, I know I'm kind of highlighting what's happening in Norway. I, I just, it's it's just the obvious example today, but it's it's an example that's not just from that country. It's it, it's, it's across the board. Um, and that's that's another next step that we need, and we're making strides. We're making steps. Don't get me wrong, but that but that's another thing that needs addressing. Well, I think that's a fascinating and absolutely spot-on way to end. I think, if nothing else, yesterday told us that whilst we are making progress, there's still a hell of a long way to go, uh, and that needs to kind of be reciprocated across. Women's, women's football but everywhere. I don't know if you saw Andy Murray put on Instagram but he said I'm, something along the lines of I'm not surprised by what happened yesterday sexism in sport is absolutely rife and it just takes an instance like this to point it out to people and it is something that needs to be addressed and you know I was fascinated by what Jess said and and even that the sentence that always stri- sticks with me sorry from what she said was we need some male sports sports stars to be the ones to drag women's football into the limelight. And like, what a ridiculous! She's she's probably right, but what a ridiculous sentence to have to say because of the circumstance. And again, women's sport has been dragged into the limelight this week by a guy, but in the totally wrong way. And and I and I and I absolutely agree with you. I hope Norwegian football can sort themselves out, and I hope just sport be it football or whatever else can sort itself out so that this sort of stuff doesn't happen and, and can't go on anymore and, and, and these people are recognised for their ability uh, and what they're capable of producing on a, on a football pitch or a tennis court or whatever else not what how they dance which is absolutely ridiculous um, our quick podcast has turned into uh, an hour and a quarter with very little room for editing, so I think we should call it quits. Okay. Um, we will be back 
soon with some winter specials. We've got a few very interesting things hopefully lined up, so we'll be back in touch soon with more to say. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Good night. Good night.